Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. We got him. We got him. Hey, welcome to the welcome to the podcast, uh, Father John. Here, Mike is up and moving. He's dancing. He just read something that said, "You better learn how to dance while you're on Earth, so the angels know what to do with you in heaven." We we don't really know what that means. Oh, it's from Augustine. That's surprising. So, anyways, welcome to the podcast. That was sent to me by Mary McGeehan. Ah, uh, Mary. And she said that I'd like it because I like dancing, and I mentioned that on the podcast. Mm. But I'm not sure exactly what the quote means. Yeah. Is it like they put you in a dance troupe, like a dance crew, Man, like I one hope of those not. movies where they dance off and stuff? If the requirements of heaven are good dancing, I'm going to be in purgatory for a very long time, so... Well, this is Father John and Father Mike coming at you second week in a row here now. Hey. After a highly uh, temptuous, is that the right word? Tumultuous? I'm not Wonder very good Woman with podcast? You're my word guy. Days. No, I keep getting them wrong. <laughs> I'm like Sancho Panza. I always say the wrong one, <laughs> thinking it's the right one. Uh, the, uh, yeah, so Father John, Father Mike here in Rome, um, re- recording, re recording. Uh, oh. We were, I was asked recently, how often do you guys re record? And I was like, only out of absolute necessity. We never re-record. We just no. Post. It's, it's happened very but rarely. We lost. I shanked our last one, and so Father Mike has to dust off his notes from last week and uh, whip it up anew. Same ingredients. Well, I mean, like when we started doing this way back when, and we were in the seminary, the uh, machine would cut out sometimes. Yeah, you remember that? Or <laughs> it would just freeze, and we'd panic. It would hit ten minutes and then just shut shut off. I think. And we'd lose everything, yeah. I think. <laughs> and then we'd have to re-record. That machine was from hell. That thing was so oh, unbelievable. It was yeah, it was really unpredictable. Re- right. Not that things have gotten a whole <laughs> lot better, but we've now managed. It's, uh, now it's more user errors. A lot errors. of podcasts. More like, user errors than now. Yeah. So. so when we recorded, so this is going to have to be a little artificial or just late, I guess. Um, it was the Feast of St. Luke. Right. This Feast was last Luke. Yeah. Wednesday, I guess. Eighteenth, yeah, something like that. Do you remember? Uh, it all it all blends together at this point. So anyway, we got to kind of recreate that, even though we are anticipating. I we are like anticipating the feast of Saint Luke for twenty eighteen. This is somebody's going to listen to this next. That's year. right, a year October, of Luke. Would be like, oh, oh, the year of Luke. We're are starting. we? I mean, we're still in the octave. Yeah, yeah. So and for us, uh, for us, Lucan folk, we do have a Lucan p- scholars. We celebrate the octave. That's right. We do have a practice of giving rather untimely topics, like something on Advent, like in the second week of January. I think, we, I think oh, we've do done we it. do that? Well, because we're usually thinking about things, and then we do it, and then it comes out a couple weeks later. So I think this is kind of yeah, part yeah. of the course. Is that even a phrase? I don't even know. <laughs> Par for the course. Par to the course. See? You're good. Par for the course. No, I would have said. Part of the course. I would have said the same thing. Part of the course. See, you're an, you're a word guy. So, um, what do you what do you order when you go to a pizza place tonight? Yeah. Well, I love the. I was looking at par for the course on dictionary.com, but that's a phrase, so it's probably not convenient. Okay, basta. Um, I no, love. I'm, I'm quite sure it's par for the course. I'm going for a um, white. I'm like on a white uh, pasta kit or a pizza kick. So the Sorrentina is my kind of go to. Is that actually like an Alfredo no sauce? sauce, or it's just not a, an like Alfredo? An oil, o- it's just like an oil. olive oil, yeah. Just no. 
I see. I like that. Yeah. I don't like the creamy sauce. Mm-mm, no, it's not creamy. But the Sorrentina is basically like a margarita pizza, except it's white. So that's what I. Uh, that's what I ordered. We got John and Emily Fraker in town, which is an absolute delight. Oh, they're great. We've had a lot of fun at them. Went to a CC this weekend, and uh, it's just fun to have people come to Rome who have never been to Rome before. You know, like we're walking through the Piazza Navona on our way to dinner at La Focaccia, which is our favorite pizza place, and it's just like. They had never seen the, they're like, whoa, where are we? And they're just like, oh, wow, this is like amazing. They walked into St. Peter's for the first time this morning, you know. Yeah, we had mass at St. Peter's. That was beautiful. Yeah. But they still have this look in their eye like this is not real. And I I don't know, that last. Disney World. For like six months. Yeah. I mean, you can't shake that in a vacation. No, yeah. Yep, and then it becomes like I live in Disney World and I work in Disney World. And like a huge set. It's like the Truman Show. It is like the Truman. That's what it feels like. It would actually be very, <laughs> it would actually be very easy to pull off a Truman Show for any Casa priest because our life is we never actually leave the Casa. You know, you could just create this whole. That's world true. At the end, he's like banging on the walls, but right. I wouldn't find the wall. No, I don't think so. I think as long as we got our La Focaccia pizza and. Back to the library. As long as the librarian kept bringing us the books we needed. Maybe we are in the Truman Show. It's like you get on the train and it just goes in this little circle, yeah. but it feels like it's going out right. to the country. Yeah. We actually think we're biking out of town. Nope, not. I'm actually very confused about the time-space continuum. Talking to John Fraker, do you know much about this and the theory of relativity? I don't want to get into this no, for too long. No, but I did just recently read that these there was like a supernova kind of thing. I don't know, like two young... Stars smashed together, huh. and it was a big deal in the astronomy world because they got to witness some sort of bending of the time-space right. thing yeah. from like this gravity wave, like a shock wave, that had only happened with black holes, but you couldn't observe it. But they, they observed it. But you could see it this time. Oh, that's impressive. For the first time. Yeah, I'm impressed that you're up on that. Well, I don't actually know what I'm talking about, I but I thought it was cool. I was and okay, so now somebody has to clarify this for me. Well, you can oh, yeah, you can catch me up on this because yeah. Fraker will know. But um, they do these artistic renderings of the like I don't know if they're like photoshopped um, telescope images or if they're totally like science fiction. But they'll have a picture of this on your news site or in National Geographic you know, books of yeah. astronomy and stuff, like the stars. So I'm wondering how much of that is just like elaborated and how much of it is actually the colors or the right. image that a camera can take. Yeah, that's a good question. Jake Machado took photos this summer. We were outside of Telluride, and they looked like that. It looked like some out of National Geographic. Really? Now, he's got so all the, but he's got all, all the fancy, real. he's got all the fancy, you know, Stuff to adjust these photos. Well, and stuff. I think the people who put them in the magazines have the fancy cameras too. Right, fancy cameras. <laughs> We're simple folk here. <laughs> Back in the car, I just got my sketchbook. <laughs> I've been drawing me some photos of. Uh, no, um, but the last thing I'll say on the time uh, space continuum is a fun, funny memory that I had from teaching Totus to us because kids are hilarious and they say ridiculous things. And I was talking about I was teaching about the the ascension of Christ. And I said, what happened during the ascension? And he said, this kid raised his hand and he goes, I believe he broke through the time-space continuum. <laughs> and I was like, have you been watching the movie Jimmy Neutron? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, kids are like, this kid knows more about the time-space continuum than I do. So okay. He knows more about the ascension than I do. 
I've been trying to figure that out for a while. Well, there you go. You got it. All my out. theories are wrong. Yeah. There was yep. this guy that used to hang out around the seminary who had this theory about how is it that Jesus died on the cross. I don't know if I've talked about this before. Is this guy on the bike? Yeah. Yeah. The Bible guy. Yeah, the Bible guy. Died on the cross on a Friday and then rose again on Sunday, and it was three days. He says he went into the core of the earth where time disappears. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know? Is it- the core of the earth. Right. If you if you can't see the sun, I think, then it's not a day. Huh. Yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> okay, so what about the time space continuum? What I, did I, did I Fraker tell you anything? I know very little. All I know is I his poor wife was watch was we're sitting on a train coming back from a CC and we're I'm giving him the I don't know, the Nepal kind of BS history of Rome, just kind of piecing together the little fragments that I've heard over the last couple of years. And then we got on the topic of um physics and I was just talking about like his, he's an uh, aerospace engineer, and so we were talking about, uh, and then somehow we got into the theory of relativity and uh, and uh, time space continuum. I think I was asking him about dark matter, and then we got into black holes, mm-hmm. and then that's when we got into it. Uh, so he was telling you about this thing. Yeah. So the big thing. the big thing is gravity. Is well, what we were talking about was the. I was shocked to learn. I should have learned all this like when I was like thirteen, but I never did. I was shocked to learn that the closest star to our solar system if I'm saying this correctly, is 150, is that all right? 150 light years away? It's crazy. Light years are like, uh, what did he say? He was, he was explaining all this stuff to me, and I was like, uh, like we got nothing close to, close to us Oh, yeah, here. these are millions and millions of miles. Yeah, maybe it was, I don't know. Jeez, I, I thought it was a long drive from Craig to Denver. I know, but it was, yeah. So if John was here, he could tell you all these interesting facts that I'm screwing up about the time-space continuum. But well, why didn't he tell me said, that, uh, you know, I would have, I would have, really preferred that to his ranting about oh yeah a new <laughs> fat fat only diet that he is really praising I know, or whatever i know you could have got um yeah you got the but that's his passion you know the what's that diet keto. called keto the keto diet everybody's got their cool diet and everybody wants to get you on their cool diet i know diet. that's people the funny have been thing. selling me on the Evangelist. cool diet do Evangelist. i just look i must look like i'm both t- t- exhausted because the thing is with these diets they say oh it's, you're gonna have more energy than you ever had before right and you're gonna lose weight all the time right you're gonna your glow. body's gonna like eat up all of the extras and you're gonna have so much energy from it right <laughs> and I, I don't know why they're selling me on this because I'm I don't I guess I'm not looking to not looking too great these days. You ran a marathon a couple months ago and I cut, didn't need a keto diet or anything. I cut too. my hair and it exposed my <laughs> fat cheeks, I think. <laughs> I think they can sense Fat Mike. There's there's people praying for the return of Fat Mike, and so they he, they just think we got to counter that with, uh, you know. He's making his comeback. Whatever we can. Pasta and so, stress. I know, seriously. No, I'm on a new diet. I'm taking this new fat, <laughs> fat in my coffee, lard in my coffee diet. Are you, do, are you doing that? I can't. <laughs> I can't imagine. Could you imagine going to a, a bar uh, here? I'd have and, to go to the butcher that, and just order. And that, say, put butter in my. They don't even have butter in Italy. Even if we wanted to have that, we couldn't even do it. They oh, don't have, olive oil. I, we got to put oil into. The, they don't. I don't think butter exists south of the Alps. No. Yeah. See, and this is cool about um, Italy. The customer is not always right, mm-hmm. so they won't do it. You tell them, oh yeah, put that oil in my in my coffee. 
and they'll say you you need to see the doctor, uh, but you got to get out of my bar, my coffee bar. And they say, and you're like, it's not oh. going to happen. Yeah, you say, okay, okay, yeah. So, are you texting during our podcast? No, I'm looking to see how far is the closest stars. Because I have a feeling that some people are listening to this saying, oh my gosh. Well, uh, okay, the scale, the nearest stars to our solar system are located in the Alpha Centauri system. There you go. The two main stars are Alpha Centauri A and Alpha Centauri B, which are approximately 4.3 light years away from the Earth. Okay, so Fraker is full of BS. I am also. Well, but if you, if you name how, how many 4.3 light years, that's still a long ways away. In a light year, that might sound more impressive. All right, hold on. You got a you got a topic tonight, or we're just Go- gonna do Google can do anything. <laughs> yeah, this is we're just gonna Google fun facts on astronomy and <laughs> light years that we know nothing about. Not that our topic's gonna be any more well informed. This is funny when you type in how fast into Google, you get how fast does hair grow? How fast am I going? How fast does the Earth spin? How fast is the speed of light? And how fast can a cheetah run? Oh, Those yeah. are your five options. Do you have a particular one before we go to the topic? How fast could a cheetah run to Alpha Centauri A? <laughs> well, that's crazy. They run 110 kilometers per hour. No, stop. Oh, just, sorry. Just do the star thing. Uh, you wanted this. I got distracted. The um, this is like the ultimate. Miles an hour. The ultimate uh, horrible podcast here. What? What am I looking up again? How fast is the speed of light? Well, we could jump into the thing, but I'm kind of interested in. <laughs> is that what you want to know? How fast? Yeah, how fast is the speed of light? 4.3 light years. It's faster than the speed of sound, I bet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We're losing ground. We are losing ground. Oh, no. I want. I need, like, a sound bite. This is too long. Sorry. Okay, I'll get back to you. We'll get back we to do, you. Do we have one of those elevator sound uh, buttons? Well, the speed of light is the fastest thing we got. You know that, right? That's That's the fastest thing we got. Yeah. I, I, rem- I also remember from uh, Father, uh, what is his name, Had a Gonzaga, the president, Spitzer? Spitzer. Spitzer. Yeah. That uh, light is neither a wave or a particle, or it's both. But we can't figure it out. Okay, we can't so figure out how fast it goes, apparently. Light travels at a constant finite speed of 186,000 186,000 miles per second. A traveler moving at the speed of light would circumnavigate the equator approximately 7.5 times in a second. Oh, yes. Moving at a ground speed of 500 miles per hour would cross the continent of the United States once in four hours. If that's So that's a jet aircraft would cross the United States in four hours if it was going 500. That's crazy. Well, so... It was comparing it to the jet... Wait, I don't understand the uh, jet just, thing. Just leave the second part out. <laughs> that sounds like normal jet. Yeah, that's what I'm talking uh, about. Comparing it to a normal jet. Okay, have so another drink. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening anymore. Oh no! This well, is, it sounds I'm really sorry. It sounds really fast. It, so this sci-fi stuff about us visiting other planets is not going to happen. Well, John thinks that you know when like, Mars is going to happen, but it's not a it's not a problem of travel. It's a problem of radiation. He tells me. Because um, okay, it's dangerous on Mars, right? Because the uh, we can't handle the the, the, the radiation yeah, outside like of our atmosphere. Because the and then the other problem is how do you land on Mars? Because the atmosphere actually slows us down when we come in, and you can't actually. It's too thin the atmosphere. Oh, so you go too fast. 
Yeah, interesting. I tell you what you could do. Have some Roman Italians driving that thing because they can stop on a oh, dime. They can, oh, they could figure it out. I thought I was going to get hit again today because I walked out. And but I was could like, they handle the atmosphere? Could they handle the radiation? I don't think so. If they didn't get there, you know, espresso after after pranzo, I think they'd be they'd be like, get us out of here. We're going back. Well, that's it. That's all I got. That's everything I learned yesterday <laughs> on the train. Well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> thank you for sharing, Father John. Show and tell time is over. Let's go back to our basic topics, which is I theology like and the Bible. I have three sheets that are all scratched up with lots of Bible facts here. You know what I love about redoing a podcast? It kills any of your stupid quiz show, quiz show, quiz show oh, no. antics. Oh, that's what you think. <laughs> that's what you think. I did kind of put you on the spot last week. So there you, was a you lot owe of, it to me. You yeah. owe me. Well, I don't know. I do like the spontaneous. That's the thing. It's I've par put, for the course. If, if you can feel it, I have, I have a little less energy or nerves or something because it's not... We've already done this. I know. It's so just, I feel yeah. like I can't surprise you. No, it's not a surprise. I feel like everybody out there has already heard this. I have a terrible short-term memory. But I thought this was really interesting stuff. Or at least... Well, it's very Lucan stuff. Very Lucan. <laughs> well, hey, happy okay, Feast so of St. Luke, we're, we're by the way. We're going back to the Feast of St. Luke. All right. And uh, that is not right now, but uh, we're celebrating. And so that's <laughs> where we're going to start again, huh? Yeah. I love how you take, I love how your mind works, just looking at these notes here. Were you just reading? And I just... also have handwriting like a <laughs> child. <laughs> at least it's legible. This one, no, that one is, they say if you write in block letters, <laughs> address is you're a crazy person. <laughs> Somebody's random address on the bottom. We won't read that. Extras. Yeah, funny. No, I really do. Take Father Mike terrible is notes. hilarious. He was Mike testing the uh, sound in what Hebrew Psalm were you praying? Psalm one ten and Psalm twenty three. In Hebrew, I was like, only only this podcast would you have this ever happen? The guy, it was amazing. I was very impressed. Adonai roi loixar binot deshe yar pitseni al me menochot yinacheleni. You sound like Gal Gadot. That's right. The Wonder Woman. Okay. She, she's amazing. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> no. A lot of feedback this week. A lot of feedback. <coughs> okay. Okay, so um, we're going to talk about Luke. I want to talk about uh, where does God come from? See, we're getting all metaphysical with all this yeah. space-time continuum stuff. And uh, I can't remember what else. Some evangelists. Great evangelists. Great evangelists. Yeah. Quit show. <laughs> Time for a quit show. <laughs> Are you are you going to ask me what I know about the Gospel of Luke? Because that's what you did last time. I'm, I'm. What do you know about Billy Graham? Billy Graham. Ooh, very little. I think there's something to do with the tent revivals. Was there a crusade? A lot of handshaking crusades. What did no? What did he call us? That is, that's campus crusade. What no, was uh, his? Now it's crew. I think they're now they're just crew. okay. No, nah, all right. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about Luke. We're talking about Luke. We're back. We're talking about Luke. Evangelist. Okay. So uh, who is Luke? <laughs> oh, you think you know everything? No, now. I don't know anything. I should know everything. I'd like to preface this by as the only human in the in the time space continuum who's heard this podcast already. I, it, it really is interesting, even if I don't sound <laughs> interested. Yeah, well, that's the other challenge I'm facing it's right like, now. It's like listening to the you podcast no a couple curiosity times. Curiosity about this thing. Who was Luke? Well, you know all about the time if space I, continuum. If you and you know I were hypothetically to have a conversation about this a week ago, I think I would have said Luke was born in Asia Minor, and I would have been corrected to say he was born in Syria. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah, that's good. Okay. That's a good start. He was a companion of St. Paul. Uh-huh. Right? An evangelist and a doctor. Yeah. Good. And then I wowed you with something that was last the, that's time. That's the traditional. What did I wow you with? Apocalyptic. He uses the language of political messianism. Uh, I forget. Apocalyptic. Mike throws these words what? all day. Yeah, you were just parroting what I what I had told you on some other podcast. Yeah. And no, you had a, you had some other real gems. I know on the quiz show. What happened? Oh, it's the go- you wanted about the gospel of Luke. It's the gospel well, of mercy. Anything. I think that was. I think I wowed you last. Oh, time that is that that's true. Mercy as a key. Is that Hesed in the Hebrew? Yeah, that's pretty good. Elios. But he, he Luke was writing in what language? Greek. There you go. And he writes very nice Greek. So why do you call it a, a gospel of mercy? Well, he seems to accent the mercy of God. Um, I think of the prodigal son okay. parable. Yep, Uni- unique others. to Luke. Unique to Luke. What are some other things unique to Luke? Um, Rodomaeus. Good. Yep. Yeah, he Two also... travelers breaking of the focuses bread. Focuses on poverty. Right. Uh-huh. Maybe. Yeah, he does. He does. Man, I really I read the Bible every day. You got the I mean you got the Good Samaritan, you got this prodigal son, like you said. You got infancy narratives that are more ah, yes, elaborate. Infancy mer- narratives, yep, yep. Um you've got mercy stuff like yeah, Jesus says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And he tells the the good thief on the cross, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Mm. You know? These some of these scenes that are more merciful. Okay, um, there's some kind of like technical language in Luke that shows up for diseases, which reinforced this old tradition that Luke was the phys- or or that the gospel was written by Luke the physician, who's mentioned in Paul's epistles. Mm. So there's a section at the end of Acts of the Apostles, which is written by the same author as as the third gospel. So they're, when they're asking who's the author. There's a section at the end of Acts, starting with chapter 16 and all the way to 28 to the end, that uses the the first person plural. We did this, we did that, we sailed to this place, we sailed to that place. So it's somebody who's there, apparently, and who's traveling with Paul, who the narrative is about at that stage, right? So then you look for, okay, where in the Pauline epistles does Paul mention someone who was regularly with him, who would have been educated, enough to write write that well and uh, and to use technical language about medicine and then you get uh, three references to a Luke Colossians 4.14 talks about our dear friend Luke the doctor and mm. Damas send greetings to the Colossians Philippians 1.24 greetings from Mark Aristarchus, Damas and Luke my fellow workers and then 2 Timothy 4.11 has Paul complaining that everybody's left him everybody's left him except only Luke is with me. So you got this constant companion called Luke. And um, so when we read the oldest attestation of who the author of Luke Acts is, um, it's in the anti-Marcionite prologue, the second or fourth century. And it says that it was written by Luke, who was never married, died at 84 in Boeotia. He was a Syrian Where is Boeotia? of Antioch. I think she's like a... Boeotia artist, is she? a region of Greece. Ah. Who would that be? Boeotia? 
Doesn't Moesha? Sound, <laughs> I don't. Wasn't know. there a show? I don't know. I, it just sounds. Wasn't like there a show on the WB or something like that? <laughs> 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 okay, Thebes is Thebes is the capital of Boeotia. It's a Grecian, uh, Grecian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grecian city. Okay, okay, I got a I got a quiz show question for you, pal. All right, Are you ready for that? If you were going to identify Luke as an as a uh, inquisitor, an ideator, an innovator, or an implementer, which one would it be? This is what business people are doing, taking these tests. This is. We learned this from none other as the same expert on the time-space continuum and discussed this I, You know, I happen to like this much better than your... Temperaments. Temperaments. I don't know what it was because it's all like useful for getting something done. And that Inquisitor. was... Inquisitor. Is that right? No, not Inquisitor. That doesn't sound like a good option. That should be a fifth option. <laughs> <laughs> they were all eyes though, Who's right? the first one? Inquisitor. Inquisitor. I can't remember any better. It's the, it's the one who asks questions. Evan Coop. Father Evan Coop. The Inquisitor. You're an ideator. <laughs> Inquisitor. That sounds bad. It does sound bad. They were all like similar. So anyways, what would you think Luke would be? I would say, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to, you'd have to explain them all. You don't like boxes. I'm an ideas guy, <laughs> and I think Luke is probably an ideas guy. <laughs> this is called eisegesis. He was also like an implementer. You're an implementer. That is somebody who has no ideas, <laughs> but can get a job done and can organize other people. That is true. And he, Luke, managed a pretty cool project with this two-part story. Yeah. It's okay. So but, Luke is like you. That's what we learned. No, I'm not. I'm not implementer at all. Ideator. I can't finish anything. I just come up with ideas. Does he have? I don't know. Does he have ideas? Is he? Oh yeah. He's, he's creatively. He is really originally presenting the gospel because it seems like he is as far as we can tell yeah. so yeah i think i think so uh, he's there are a lot of like particulars that have been studied and patterns that have been studied in luke and in acts or together that show him to be a theologian right so he's actually got some new ideas and he's rearranged the material he's inherited like mark's gospel mm-hmm. and Probably some sayings. You're the old cue that everybody the Q. hates. Oh yeah, and and then his own sources that are um, particular to his. Um, I don't know his resources, and w- well, anyway, he, he's organized all this stuff, and then he, he writes in a way that communicates things in his own mm. particular way. So he's definitely an artist in in the presentation, and he seems to have a lot of original theology in there. But uh, it's debated exactly what. He's doing. You could, the, everything's debated in scholarship. You know that, but yeah, ideator and implementer sounds like a good guy. Yeah. So he, he, I mean, in the end, he's trying to tell the stories of Christian origins and Jesus' life, and he's also, I think, trying to evangelize. So he's he's writing a work that will help the church to spread the gospel, which is the kind of the goal of the great heroes of the story, mm-hmm. Jesus and the apostles, right? Yep. Okay, so we're talking about evangelists, Luke. Good. Keep ideator, implementer, <laughs> inquisitor. I don't remember. There's got to be a book that he read on this. This I'm is Frakerisms sure. again. Frakerisms. Father John's been hanging out with John. I've been spending Fraker. a lot of time with two people, and one of them is pregnant and sick, and the other one talks a lot. So. Okay, so I... Got this curious bug about where does 
this is okay, and this is kind of changing tag for a second here. Mm-hmm. Where does the the word God come from? Oh uh, yes. So I was in uh, I was studying German in Munich in September with uh, with Muslims and um, Orthodox and a lot of other kind of religious people, and uh, I found them very fascinating. We had we got along well, um, but it made me wonder like well why do we call god what we call god and i thought well where does this particular word god they don't use that word mm. where does that come from and uh so i did a little looking into that and i found it comes from the little wolf the little wolf now you know this already uh, i know who's the little wolf um the fourth century german Gott. Mm-hmm. See, if we would have hypothetically had this conversation a week ago, I would have suggested the word God, Gott, in the old German, comes from the pan, pie, pan-Indo-European, like, proto-language, mm-hmm. and it comes from the root for the one who calls. It's rooted in the word for call. But that was refuted by my exegete friend who happens to be Wait, an expert. Wait, where did you get the call thing? That's I an, didn't know about the call thing. In um, Sanskrit? Yeah, that's the. But you don't like those old uh, etymologies. No, I'm not too convinced of all the. Right. So his is actually There's historical. People who Mine like is to, just like to trace these words all the way back, right. s- Just in order to prove that we all believe the same thing, right? And there's no differences in what we believe. So just let's all get over it and you know, give peace a chance or something like right. that. Right. Which is a nice thought, but may or may not be true. Right. And I don't think that some of this stuff is. I think it's sometimes a little kind of overreaching. And like I did last week, I deferred to Der Meister on this point and learned what he's about, about to share. Yeah, which is this is very lost. Now I don't know. I mean, the the word could come. There were there were some who who traced the word back to uh, Sanskrit stuff. But what's his um, name again? So Bishop Ulfilas, Ulfilas, or Wulfila. Uh, was a, a a bishop a convert um, from from the Gothic people. This is just north of just north of Italy. Um, evangelization is reaching out into this country in the in the, this area in the fourth century. And uh, in order to evangelize his people after conversion and um, being kind of assigned or as the first bishop, missionary bishop, he uh, has. Uh, he, he does a translation of the Bible, which at that time is um, in Greek. Maybe there's um, kind of Latin versions and things like this around. But they need to have one for the German lands, right? So he translates this this um, word theos in Greek or deus in Latin, which is the word for God or was the word for God, into this gut or God uh, for the first time in history. Mm. Okay, so that is, this word existed, but it was for one of the pagan gods, probably the highest god in the pantheon of the Goths. And he was saying, well, what you talk about is this highest being. I don't know the details about that god, so I can't really talk about that exactly. But just to say, uh, he he uses their language in order to say, um, this is what we're talking about huh. when we're talking about God, the father of 
Jesus, who is also God, and the Holy Spirit, who is also God. So um, he's an evangelist. He has to take the, the language of Christian theology and our understanding of God, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, and then bring it to these other people. But I thought it was fascinating that this is the first use of yeah. this word um, in, in history. And um, he was okay with saying, we're going to use one of your words. It's probably going to be confusing, right. misinterpreted, misunderstood, but we're going to work with that. Right. We can teach you. I, it's crazy how early that is. Um, I mean, fourth, yeah, fourth, fourth century. century. I, don't yeah, even so, think, I don't even think Jerome has finished the Vulgate, right? I think that's fifth century. Um, Jerome's working right at the end of the fourth century. Right at the end of the fourth century. I'm not sure when he finished the. Yeah, the it's just, I mean, it's just really crazy early uh, to think of it as all the way up in in the uh, Goths, and and interesting to think of the the way that he uses it. It says a lot about evangelization, um, about you have to communicate it into the language of the of the culture of the people, but not. And do it in such a way that's authentic to the message, but also the possible, like that they, the mode of the receiver makes it possible, you know, for them to understand it or kind of grasp it. That's what that's the interesting thing about um, language and evangelization, um, and also um, you know, like um, enculturation. That whole question of evangelization and enculturation, which is you know, a hot topic always to the people oh, yeah. are going to. Well, I mean, so the Greeks, the or the the Romans, kind of the the Hellenized milieu around the Mediterranean. That's like uh, Greek education and understanding concepts, philosophy mm-hmm. are all floating around religion. They had categories that were kind of distant from the old pagan mythology. Um, there were philosophical concepts, so that when they said Deus or Theos, um, th- it didn't just mean it was related to Zeus. You know, we t- read about Zeus in the in the books or see the movies or whatever. But um, the philosophers were already talking about Deus or Theos as just like a transcendent reality that's that's higher than any of that particular instances. Even pagans who believed in multiple gods would talk about some like higher. Mm kind of transcendent reality, something bigger than that. Who, With Theos. Yeah. Some yeah. of them would. Not all of them would, but some of them would. I mean, Roman religion had lots of gods and stuff. Um, but there were categories so that that language was adequate to the Christians. You know, For, for Jesus, Jesus didn't call God Deus, uh, some Latin word. What did Jesus call God? Abba. He did call God Abba, right? Father. Uh, that was a very simple title, and that's the only one we know, like from from the Gospels. But John calls God Hotheos. He calls the Father Hotheos, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And the other Gospel writers use Theos right. frequently um, in their Aramaic milieu. That Jesus probably taught the the um, apostles in. They would probably call God Allah, um, the one who is above. Um, a word that's still used by Syriac Christians, Antiochian Christians, and was taken and used by Muslims eventually is Allah, right? Mm. The one who is above, transcendent, 
cannot be named. That's interesting. Like, so Allah was a almost Christian for gets seven, away from a name seven centuries. Oh, uh, for yeah, yeah, six, six, right? yeah, yeah. Okay, so there there were other other words for it, but um, you're kind of moving out of that out of that world, and with every new encounter with a new culture, you have to kind of translate this stuff, right? Both into adequate names and words for something that transcends words, always transcends words. So God can't exactly be named as such, right? There's something elusive about about God that can't be named by us. Um, but we have lots of ways that through the revelation of God in Christ, we come to know God and can talk about God in some very real ways. Yeah. So we have doctrine about, you know, dogmatic theology about who God is and what God is not, right? Now let me ask you a moral question, if that's okay. Can I digress for a second? I know we got a couple more pages here to cover. I don't want to lead us onto rabbit holes, but... No, uh, we're fine, we're fine. Somebody, a priest friend of ours, and I were talking about this concept of taking the Lord's name in vain. And his, his theory was um, the Jews had a problem with the Lord's name in vain being taken, but it wasn't the concept of God. So the so phrases of God, such and such, were not the Lord's name in vain, but Christ, the, to take the name of Jesus Christ would be to take the Lord's name in vain. Because God is, is a pointer, it's a concept. Gronsky used to say, you're not going to get to heaven and he's going to have a name tag that says, Hi, I'm God. It's not his name, but when he reveals his name, that's what becomes sacred in the Old Testament and in the New and in the, in the teaching of, not that we should be you know, using the, the, the word God in, in any kind of profane way, but just that the, the sacredness is actually the revelation of the personal name, not the concept of Adonai or Theos or God, I guess. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, what do you th- what do you think about that? Well, I, I was mean, I, I, yeah, I have an opinion, but what do you think? Well, I think that I think that uh, in terms of biblically, it does seem to be a, a real distinction between the the words that we use to describe God, which are philosophical, theos, you know, philosophical, and, and uh, you know, I don't know, you know, the Old Testament better than I do, and then the the disclosure of God's name, this is who I am, of His person. There does seem to be a, a deep and sacredness to the name of Jesus that's not to the concept of God. Like Newman says, you know, we don't worship, we don't, what did he say? We don't pray to the Trinity. We pray to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to persons. The Trinity is mm-hmm. a concept. And yeah. I'm, a dog, I'm a dogma guy, so I do deal with these questions of God, of um, Gottes Lerne, as the Germans say, like the, the, you know, the, the, the theory of God. But it seems to be different than the the revelation of God's name. This is what you're to call me, Abba, or um, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. These things, and so I would lean towards that. There is a distinction. I don't think it's. I think it's kind of splitting hairs to uh, say, well, that's not really God's name in vain, so I'm good. You know, I can say GD or whatever these things. You know, I don't think that's very helpful. Um, but yeah, well. I do, yeah. I do think there's a distinction, and there's something very privileged about the name of Jesus. Right. Um, that's an honored tradition for us. Uh, if you go to the Jesu, you see this beautiful um, depiction of kind of 
going closer, cl- closer and closer to the center of heaven, this place where God is to be seen, but you can't see God. So there's like this really bright light, and you have IHS, the name of Jesus. Hmm. And that's like the closest you can get. You know, um, his name was it has a meaning. It's the Savior Yeshua. Um, it was a name that wasn't in, is it entirely unique to history, um, but it's come to be the closest that we can get to to God, right? Um, so I do think there is something like extraordinary or very privileged about that. But I also think the the idea or, or, or this kind of de- command to respect the name of God and not to take it in vain is about respecting religion and right. not committing sacrilege. And so there's a lot of ways to do that, and they're all bad, you know. Right. Um, they're all going to lead to your eventual uh, disrespect and, and, and indifference about, um, about God, which is hell. I mean, it's sin. Right. Um, this kind of alienation. I don't care about this one, or I don't like this one, or what. So you got to respect even the word God. It that that comes from somewhere, and uh, Bishop Ulfilas gave us this uh, first instance, and then it's been passed on because English is a Germanic language, and it's been the word that we've used. Um, but it it does represent for us the most sacred thing, right? Which is God, this person that I care about. And that I want to have reverence for, that maybe I don't have a perfect word to describe, but um, I want to be reverent, and that means I got to protect this kind yeah. of language. So I don't think I don't know. I mean, there's still you got to you got to be reverent around all these things, right? And these the yeah the word God is very important, um, even in our just like our societal sense of. Um, I don't know, religion and respect and stuff. Yeah? Yeah, good. I think we're... I think it's, I mean, it's an interesting point. Yeah. Okay, let me get to some other evangelists. Yeah. Uh, just to just to mention them. Uh, to, to mention other evangelists who used uh, translation of Scripture to evangelize other people. Um, that was the genius of Bishop Ulfilas. The, he's not a saint because he died an Arian. Unfortunate. Uh, Ulfilas. So uh, he's just Bishop Ulfilas, but I think we have a, a, a debt of gratitude to him. Um, Augustine of Canterbury, he uh, commissioned a Bible uh, that uses also uses the word God. Um, this is an English Bible in the uh-huh. 6th century. Wow. Uh, Venerable Bede translated into a uh, Bible into Old English in the seventh century. Uh, Cyril and Methodius invented a Slavic alphabet just to communicate the gospel to uh, Slavic peoples. Um, in the tenth century, you have the Lindisfarne Gospels, um, some old English translations, and uh, Charlemagne was known to have promoted. Frankish biblical translation of French in the ninth century. I think Lindisfarne was sacked by the Vikings. Oh, really? In the show Vikings. Oh, yeah. Well, those are all those illuminated Bibles and everything. Right, right, right. But okay, so all the wimpy part of my point guys. is throughout this history, you're looking at all these different centuries uh, throughout the Middle Ages, all this time, translating the Bible into a vernacular language was a very common feature of Christian evangelization. Yeah. 
um, you have a, a sort of retelling of the story at the Reformation where some of these reformers said the Catholic Church was keeping the Bible away from um, Catholic or from Christians, you know? Right. And it was only the monks who were allowed to look at the Bible or... Luther was the first to, to translate them. it. And then Luther was this hero for translating the Bible into German. The fact is, there are thousands of manuscripts of extant copies of German translations wow. of the Bible before Luther. And, um, and this was a common practice throughout history. Yeah. Now, the Catholic Church did have an, afic- an, an official um, Vulgate Latin translation of the Bible, but it seems like that was meant primarily for the use in, uh, for use in liturgy, to be read at Mass, for study, probably for academic circles. And then there were actual efforts constantly to translate the story of the gospel and the, the, the literature itself, the text themselves, and put it in the hands of the people. And this was a way of evangelizing the world. Translate the Bible into a new language, and you'll give the people the story that is compelling and has power and um, provides the grace of faith. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I never, never heard that ever. Um, uh, kind of how many uh, translations, especially in the German, there were. Because um, you just hear that, that that was just a modern thing where just nobody had the Bible, nobody cared. The church actually worked against that, this kind of anti-modern force that's kind of trying to enslave people in their superstition. I mean, this is like, it's kind of what you hear, you know. So, right, but you had inventions. You had Christian bishops and missionaries inventing alphabets just to translate the Bible. Right. This was like first priority. Right. Um, now, I don't want to be triumphalistic about this. I want to recognize that Protestants, especially right now, are doing incredible work to try to translate the Bible. Um, I think they are outpacing Catholics for sure, um, trying to get the Bible into as many local dialects and things like this as possible. And um, I think it's great work. So I want to commend them and you know express my gratitude. But uh, mm. Just wanted to myth bust a little there. Myth bust on the feast of Luke the Evangelist. Nice, well done. And well done. Uh, kind of trace the, I don't know the, the word God, where God comes from. Well, I enjoyed this twice, so I would recommend <laughs> everybody to listen to this podcast at least twice. So, no, good stuff. Well done. That's it. That's it. All That's right. all I got. Good work, man. Well, I saw um, some funny notes here on the back side of this page. This must have been... Oh, not that one. It was like James Peak summited before 1840. I was like, what was he doing? Oh, yeah, that was a different thing. Pike's Peak, 1820. Yeah, this is funny. They that got was, all... I, was, I don't remember what I was doing. Funny. I got prices of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you got addresses, prices. But as always, you have a long list of shout-outs that you'd like to... Oh, yes. Well, I already... There might be some mix-ups, because we kind of did this a couple no, times. No, yeah, so. that's my problem. Yeah. I'm kind of nervous about it. It's like, what did we say? We got Tressa. Which, that was the important one for Sunit. You got... You shout out, like, everybody. John and Ruthie. You shout out every, your, all of your family. No, Isaac, you got. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got one now. There we go. Go ahead. This one's fresh. Jeff Todd. Jeff Todd. Cool uh, seminarian out of Indiana who is studying abroad in Rome. Nice. And uh, is a Your guy. cool new friend. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. The um, 
I'd like to shout out John and Emily Fraker just for being here and for Evelyn, my sweet goddaughter, and oh, yeah. Baby in the Womb, which we were discussing uh, future names last night at dinner. <laughs> what did we come up with, Vaughn? I think Vaughn Fraker was our... Vaughn. Yeah. In honor of Vaughn Miller. So, um, Connor Smith, Jesuits, our favorite, my, one of my favorite guys from CU, Jesuit, uh, he says there's a lot of young guys, new novices, biggest province in the country now, these guys, I don't know how the provinces shake out, they, they changed them all, so... But he said two guys in particular are big fans. Hunter DeArmond, who's from Baton Rouge, and John Guerra, who is... All right, Hunter and John. Looks like uh, from New, New Orleans also. So Did we meet there. these guys this summer? Uh, I don't think so. I think these are different guys. Oh, okay. So anyways, thanks, boys, for listening. Thanks to the Jesuits for listening. And then I got a nice email today from uh, Kylie and Chris Schneider, who, when I went to Boulder, I was a newly ordained priest. I got a stack of marriage files from Father Dave Nix, who was on his way out. Uh-huh. And one of them was this couple, Chris and Kylie, and they got married in Pilsen, uh, Kansas. You know the name Pilsen, Kansas? No. No? Okay. I have family from Pilsen, Czech Republic. Yeah, okay. That's what I was thinking. And Pilsen, Kansas is famous because of Father Emilio Capon. Oh, yeah. We did a podcast on him. Was he canonized? Died in the Korean no, War. Nope. His cause has been opened, kind of moving along, but he is awesome. And they just named their youngest son after him. All right. So, Capon. So, anyways, to uh, Chris and Kylie and their three kids, great uh, to hear from you. And happy sixth anniversary to you guys. So, I think that's it. There's always shout outs, but we'll, uh, we'll save them uh, for thanks next Thanks to time. Father Jacob Strand. Father Jacob Strand. Might have already been mentioned, but anyway, he took me hunting this weekend. Hunting with some new Italian friends. That's right. New Italian friends. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Oh, I have one last shout-out. Aaron Erber sent us a very nice, detailed email, both acknowledging the good and critiquing the Wonder Woman podcast. And, I, and he is a wild bee researcher at, in Minnesota, at the University of Minnesota. So, Which I hear is like really crucially important. Right. Everybody knows this. And in fact, I, I told it's him, like I said... like one of those modern things. It's like the diets. Everybody said, knows about the bees. Right. I said, Father Mike is, other than dieting all the time, this weekend he was hunting doves in Umbria. So he has wild and crazy hobbies. He's probably going to want to come and join you for some wild bee research in Minnesota. So I've I, done some beekeeping. I told Aaron you, you might call him at some point, so... Right on. <laughs> cool. Stay in touch, Aaron. That's it. Well done, my friend. <laughs> Hopefully the balance, the levels are balanced, and Mike Casberg. We also changed the happy. sound tonight, so yep. we're all, we're kind of like, I think I feel like we're kind of like tiptoeing, tiptoeing, and we ran I, out of I'm bourbon. I'm like afraid to get too yeah rowdy or something. So we'll just tiptoe out of here. Okay, like us on Facebook. Par for the course. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. 